Um, Anna stole my opening because I was going to say it was great to see so many people and I wonder who that boy with Anna was. But um, she stole it. It's fine. Don't worry. Um, how is everyone doing? Is everyone doing all right? Amazing. Um, and for those guys who don't know who I am, my name's Owen. Um, I lead the youth team here and um, I run a lot of the media um, sort of side of the church, which is amazing. I love it. Um, and um, so, yeah, that's me. At the moment, we're doing a series on 1 Corinthians. I don't know if you've been around for the previous numbers of weeks, but if you haven't, um, then don't worry. All of the sermons are available on our website. So if you want to check those out, please go and find them. Um, they will be just in the sermon section. You you can watch all of those, listen to them and watch them now. And also tomorrow, we're going to be releasing on our social media and our YouTube a um, recap video on Corinthians 1 to 6. So for what we've spoken about so far with 1 to 6, and then another one will come out in a few weeks' time for 9 to 12. So if you want to just keep your eyes out for those, a shameless plug for the media stuff I know, but you know, you've got to do it at one point, haven't you? So I spoke last week on glorifying God in all that we do as individuals and corporately when we gather together. And Paul highlighted in that passage some corporate things that the, the Corinthian church was doing really well, and he commended them for it. Well, this week we're going to continue this section on corporate worship, but Paul brings a deliberate contrast to this point. And we're going to talk today about something that the Corinthians were failing at, something that dishonors God and the body of Jesus in a very real and very hands-on way, something that maybe we wouldn't think of as contentious in this day and age because of the way that we do it, and that is the Lord's Supper. So if you'd like to turn with your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 11, verses 17 to 34, and we're going to be reading from there. This passage is split into three sections, Paul showing disappointment and sorrow at the division of the body over the Lord's Supper, the importance of the Lord's Supper, and then finally he gives instruction to bring correction to the church. One of the great things that we have at Christ Church is we've spent the last few months going through the book of 1 Corinthians. So we've taken through the, uh, Paul's letter in a very similar way than they would from start to finish. We haven't just dotted around and jumped and picked bits out. Um, and why is this important? Well, it's important because that's the way that Paul wrote the letter, to work together as one. Back in the ancient day when um, they read these letters, there wouldn't have been chapters. They wouldn't have gone, turn with us to chapter 11. We're just going to look at chapter 11. They would have read the letter to the churches. And there are things that he writes in previous chapters that lead on to this verse. There are things that he says in this chapter that contain allusions to other truths he's already raised. So when we're reading about the Lord's table and we go through this passage, I just want you to be thinking about if there's any things that Paul says that sparks off stuff in your mind from things we've heard. And I'll draw, att uh, draw attention to a few of them later on, but there are more than I will. So... 1 Corinthians 11, starting at verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. For when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? 
Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give you directions when I come. Quite a long passage, and we're going to go through it and sort of pick it apart a little bit. Um, but I don't know if you guys have, have ever been at an awkward dinner. I don't know if you have had an experience of being sat at a table with people that you know or you don't know, you love or maybe you're not so fond of, and it's an awkward situation. I've had a few of them in my life, and one that I want to share about you t- with you today is uh, an awkward meal that I had at a wedding. So the wedding service had gone lovely, and then we went to have the wedding breakfast and we were sat at a table with some friends of mine and some people that I didn't know. They were friends of the, um, of the groom, I think, from, from when he grew up. And um, it became very clear from when the starters were served that the half bottle of wine that they'd accredited to each person was not going to be enough for one of the people at the table. And as the time went on, he drank more and more, and he got louder and louder and more obnoxious. And his friend was trying to shush him, and it was just so awkward, because whenever you would have conversations, he'd just butt in with something that he thought was incredibly interesting and incredibly pertinent um, about his own life. And it was just, it got more and more bad, to the point in which the speeches started, and you'd get things, and he started sort of shouting out. So you'd get things like, oh, and, you know, it's lovely to welcome him into the family. And then, you know, this guy would go, oh, no, it's not, <laughs> and just giggle to himself. And it was, the, it was one of the most awkward dinners I have ever had. In verse 16, and along this passage, Paul um, is speaking about an awkward dinner experience. But it is so much more, as we will see. So in verse 16, Paul says that there is no place for one who is contentious in the churches of God. Contentious means one who creates arguments and division. He then goes on to talk about the sorrow that he has at the division of the churches at the Lord's Supper. Now in Corinth, there weren't church buildings. We didn't have a building like this. There were house churches meeting in the homes of believers, most likely the homes of wealthy believers, as they would have been bigger houses. They could have had more people in to share fellowship together. And we know from archaeology and writings around the time that Corinth was a real melting pot, mainly because 
of it being a port city, and so many people would come into the town. And the church was a diverse group too. We can see from Paul's writing that there were slaves, there were freedmen, there were rich and influential individuals like Erastus, who was the city treasurer, um, who we read about in Romans 16. There were men and women, there were Jews and Gentiles. Real diverse group. But it's very clear from Paul's start to this section of his letter that the divisions of the church go further than the leadership debates that we've seen beforehand and have extended to disturbing the sharing of the Lord's Supper. Now, some of you may be a bit confused if you don't know what I mean by the Lord's Supper. Um, As the video said, the Lord's Supper is another name for communion, where we take the bread and in and the wine together. And in this church, we do that in a very particular way. Um, We take the bread and the wine on their own. But in the early church, communion would have taken part of a meal, a wider meal. And there's a lot of scholarly debate over what that looked like, whether it was eaten in the middle of the meal, at the end of the meal, at the start of the meal. Um, That doesn't really matter into what I'm speaking about today. The problem is there was something going wrong in this meal. And I just want to highlight verses 18 to 21, just because that sort of really dives in on it. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe that in part, I, I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets very drunk. The Corinthians were falling into the same trap that many toddlers do. They were not sharing. Well, why is that a problem? Why is it a problem that they weren't sharing? Well, it's for two main reasons. Number one is there was discrimination within the body, within the church. And two, it was a lack of respect for the meal itself. I said earlier that the meals would have taken place in richer people's homes. Now, the richer believers would have been able to afford uh, meat and rich foods. When the believers came together, the rich probably would have had lots of food and wine, whilst the poorer believers would have come from a hard day's work and brought just what they could afford. From what Paul is saying, it seems probable when he taught them about the Lord's Supper, the way that it was meant to be was they would all come with what they had and they would all share it amongst each other. But it's very clear from when we read this, that is not what is going on anymore. For in verse 21, it says, For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. The rich were gorging themselves, overeating, getting drunk on the wine they had brought, whilst all the poorer believers went hungry. It's a bit like, imagine I was invited over to a barbecue at Cyanana's house. And I went over, and the barbecue's roaring. I brought like a salad, because you bring salads. And when I arrive, the burgers, the sausages, the chicken, it's all there ready. They take it off. It goes into the plate. We sit down, and I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be a great meal. And I reach to grab a burger, and all of the Fry family look at me. And it becomes very clear that if I had, not that this would happen with them. I'd like it to make it very clear. They're not that kind of family. That if I had wanted to eat some of the food, I should have brought it myself because they cooked what they had and I was meant to have cooked what I had. And so whilst they eat all of this meat and all the different things, they drink all the food, all of the wine and whatever, the soft drinks, I sit there with my little leaf salad on my own 
Now imagine the reason why I brought the salad was because it was all that I could afford. Recently married, there's not a lot of money in the bank. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so I went to Tesco and it was in the reduced section. That's all I could get. Now imagine what that would be like. That is what it was like for the believers in Corinth when they gathered. The rich people were shameless and the poorer people were shamed. And Paul looks at this and goes, this isn't church. This isn't Christ. So that's the first reason. The second reason is they're missing the importance of the Lord's Supper. So Paul speaks about the tradition of communion. It was given by Jesus. It was the last thing that Jesus gave to his disciples before they went to the Garden of Gethsemane and he was led away. They were eating the meal and he takes the bread and he breaks it and he says, this is my body broken for you. And then later through that day, Jesus's physical body was maimed and torn apart and hung on a cross for us. He takes the wine and he says, this is my blood, the new covenant. These were Jewish, mainly Jewish disciples. They would have known that through the Old Testament, blood was a signifier of the covenant between God and man. Blood covers sins in sacrifices. Blood is important. I don't know whether you've ever thought of this, but Jesus was the only person who could have chosen, fully chosen, when he died. We all don't get to choose that. That is chosen by God. But Jesus was the only person he could choose the time of his death, and he chose Passover, a time to remind us of God rescuing his people and death passing over those who are in the blood of the Lamb. Communion focuses on Jesus and the magnificent salvation that he has won for us on huge expense at his part at Calvary. By breaking bread again and again, we are reminded that the cross is everything to us. We don't get baptized again and again, but we take communion as a symbolic act that has taken place in our lives. So that's the second reason why Paul is horrified at the actions of the Corinthians. Not only are they discriminating against other people due to their socioeconomic position, and bringing humiliation and shame onto them, they're doing this during communion. The point of the Lord's Supper is to show the true depth of Christ's selflessness and self-giving love. It's supposed to be the sign of unity in the body of Christ. As we all partake in his body, his death, his resurrection. So you can see why such contempt and lack of love to the poorer members of the church makes Paul so angry. Salvation and the family of God is supposed to bring equal respect, honor, and dignity to all. No matter your background, no matter who you are, the people of God are equally righteous before God, because we were all equally worthy of wrath beforehand. 
can we say that we are the same? When we go into church, when we speak to people, do we bring equal love, equal respect, equal dignity to everyone? Or are there some people we'd rather talk to than others? Some people we'd rather spend time with than others because if we spent time with these people, maybe we'd look a bit odd or we'd look a bit different. Do we find ourselves biased by what culture tells us out of this building? Finally, I just want to talk about some instructions to bring correction that Paul speaks. I've got three sort of points of application. Something that's very clear from what Paul's writing says is that the actions of those Corinthians who are bringing shame, if they continue, will have consequences. In verses 28 to 30, Paul says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. So my three points are judgment, self-examination, and discernment of the body. Firstly, judgment. The unworthy manner that Paul is speaking of is this divisive arrogance of richer Corinthian believers, which is completely the opposite of Christ's sacrificial death. As Paul says in the first verses, if you take the supper like that, you are not eating of the Lord's Supper. There is a spiritual importance of taking communion together. It is more than an act of remembrance. It is a sign of spiritual unity under Christ. Believers cannot take part in the meal of God and idolatrily blaspheme the body of Christ. And if what I'm saying rings a bell, then it should, because in 1 Corinthians 10, 21, it says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake in the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Paul's lined this up. And what is the judgment that comes on those who partake in the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way? Well, Paul has already teed this up the chapter before. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 to 3, he speaks about the Israelites who all came through the sea, all followed the cloud, all drank from the same spiritual food that Moses gave. But they displeased God, erecting an idol of a golden calf, as Rob said to us a few weeks ago, and they were overthrown into the wilderness because of their idolatry. Paul says that those who are guilty of this will be guilty concerning the body and the blood. He also says that this is the reason why many of them are weak and ill and some have died. Now, there's a lot of debate over what that means for them and what that means for us today, but I think it is clear to say that there is a physical price for living sinful lives and especially doing that against the body of Christ. Some of you here may feel uncomfortable with the idea of God bringing judgment, but I think when we look through his word, we see he is the only one who is righteous and just and able to bring judgment. And if there's anyone in this building today and you, you don't know Jesus and you haven't repented of your sin that you're living in, whether that be selfishness and discrimination like the Corinthians or lying sexual immorality, whatever it may be, then the Bible is very clear 
Our sinful acts mean that we can never be with God. But the good news is that Jesus on that cross paid the ultimate price, taking the punishment for all the sins that we have committed, past, present, and future, and died to it. He was our spotless Passover lamb. And when you partake in communion communion, and you give your life to him, it's like you're painting the blood of the lamb above the door of your lives every time. And if you're a Christian today and you're living in sin, turn to Jesus. Be honest with someone. Pray through it with them because there's a day coming when we all will sit before the judgment seat of Christ and be held accountable for our actions. And I'm not talking about losing salvation, but I am talking about being held as faithful stewards or not. We've spoken a bit about that during this, um, this book series we've been going through. You know, are we faithful stewards or not? We will be held to account. So what, how, do we, how do we come to that? Well, firstly, self-examination. We need to look at our own mindset, our own actions, our thoughts, our heart. Are our actions truly based on Christ-like love? Or have we got lost by focusing on what we want or what culture says that we should want? This passage says that we're supposed to judge ourselves so that we are not judged on that day. It is better, brothers and sisters, to judge yourself and look deep into yourself and say, that's wrong, I shouldn't be doing that. How can I become more Christ-like than for on the day of judgment, Christ to say, why didn't you do that? It's so much better. Spend some time this week looking and discerning, praying. The Holy Spirit will point things out. If you ask, the Holy Spirit wants you to be free of these things. He's not gonna leave you. The Holy Spirit wants you to know in the life group notes, I've already, I've already put some things in there, some space for that. So if you're going to a life group this week, then there is a space for self-examination. If you're not in a life group um, and you'd like to be, then please grab Chris. Um, he's waving at the back. Um, and he'd love to talk to you about it. If you're not going to be at a life group this week, because maybe you know, you're balancing um, you know, babysitting or whatever it is, then the life group notes are always available on the website. So if you go onto the sermon and you click onto the sermon, the life group notes will be down there. So self-examination. And then finally, discernment of the body. Paul says that the rich are, to- the rich are told by Paul sorry, to eat beforehand if they want a large meal. He says it's not a bad thing to want a large meal. He doesn't say that, but it's not a bad thing to want a larger meal. But have one beforehand to discern why their current actions are harmful to the body. This should be something that we're used to hearing by now, submitting what we want for the good of the body. 1 Corinthians 8, 9. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Sai spoke about it last week in a culture obsessed with our rights and, oh, I can do that. Why is it a problem for me to do that? We often forget that there's a responsibility that actually what you do might be a problem for someone else. To discern and be a part of the body of Christ means being present, being active. To be able to speak into lives, to be able to speak into people's situations, you need to be present. 
You can't just pop in and out of church. You can't just pop in and out of the family. And when it suits you, it's cool. And when it's not, and it's a bit difficult or you don't want to, then you don't. That's not how family works. The body comes together and is active together. Discern yourself. Discern the body. Just like to ask the band to come back up. In conclusion, Christchurch, we're called to remember this common covenantal membership of the body together as we eat the bread and drink the wine. We're partaking in one body. We are one body. When one part suffers, we all suffer. When one part rejoices, we all rejoice. We are one people, one body. And we're going to take this time to now take communion together. So if you brought bread and wine, then please grab that. If you didn't and you're a believer here today, then you know, feel free to spend this time just thanking God for all that he has done in your life, all that he has done in the life of this congregation, for his blood, for his body, for the cross, and for that empty grave. Spend that time reflecting on that. And if you're not a Christian today, then spend this time, if you would like to, saying to God, I'm sorry for all that I've done. I turn away from that and I grab hold of you. If you want to know more about Jesus, please come and grab me or Si or one of the elders. They'd love to talk to you. We'd love to chat more about who Jesus is and why it's the best decision of your life to grab hold of him. I'm just going to read that passage from 1 Corinthians again, just a section about communion. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take the wine together. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There is an eternal truth in what we have just done. There is a day coming, Christ Church, when the Lord will return and we will see him as he is and the world will see him as he is and they will bow and they will worship because there will be nothing There'll be nothing that just, there'll be nothing in the way. Not our sin, not our shame, not our culture's 
telling us we shouldn't. There will be nothing stopping us because when we see Jesus for who he is, there is nothing we can do but worship. And we will share in that feast for eternity. But until then, we await him and we, we, we hunger for more of him. praise his precious name together as one body, as one family. So let's do that together now and spend some time praising him and worshipping him.